Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We're in a series on the book of Acts that we've entitled Power Today, and we find ourselves in the middle of Acts chapter 10, where we are, we are going to come to a moment in the life of the church, not James River, although I believe it applies to James River, where God moves Peter and the disciples, the apostles, into a new season, a season that not only affects them, but affected us. We're here today because of what happened in Acts chapter 10. It is a turning point in the history of the church. As they enter this new season, it's a season where the gospel's going to go out to Gentiles. It is a season where there will be signs and wonders at a whole new level that lead honestly to one of the greatest revivals in the history of the church, the revival at the city of Ephesus. Now, you remember last time we opened the chapter and there was a Roman centurion who was a God-fearer, which is the same as saying he feared God, but he wasn't born again. He desired to walk with God, but he hadn't yet given his heart to Christ. You see, there's a lot of people who think that just because they have an affinity for God, have a desire for God, have a respect for God, that that's the same as walking with God, and it's not. God was so concerned about this Roman centurion and his desire to walk with God that God actually sent an angel to appear to him to tell him where he could learn about how to walk with God. That it would be a man by the name of Peter who would tell him the message of, of how to know God, how to walk with God, and that would introduce this man not only to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but to a power that comes through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The angel tells him to send for Simon Peter. Meanwhile, you remember Peter has raised a woman from the dead in Joppa, and he is staying at the home of a man by the name of Simon the Tanner. And Peter, he's going up on the rooftop to pray. And as he is praying, Peter is slain in the spirit. He has a vision. It's an encounter that will change his life, and he'll never be the same again. Now, as we look at this, what I want you to see and I want us to think about is that we're in a season, a new season. We're at the start of a season. Things are just getting underway. But as we go through this new season, some of you haven't yet entered in. Some of you are just sticking your foot in. Others of you you are in up to your neck and you're loving it, but God wants to show us some principles on entering a new season. Number one, God prepares us for a new season through prayer. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to people. So he's helping the poor. He is honoring God and he's praying continually to God. The whole 
thing that launches this change is there's somebody who prays. He doesn't even have a, a saving relationship with Jesus, but he's talking to God, and the result is he's going to get saved. The result is he's praying, and God's going to answer prayer, and God's going to change his life. God's going to change his family's life, and God's going to use him to change the life of multiplied billions of people through the ages. Think of that. Our prayers have effect. Our prayers are powerful. Our prayers change the course of history. How you pray, how I pray, determines the legacy of our life, what our life will mean in the years to come. When you pray, what we pray echoes literally in eternity. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, about noon the following day as they're on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So Cornelius is praying. Peter is praying. And the result is that as people are praying, things start happening. This is why the prayer meeting is so absolutely critical. I know I sound like a broken record, but until the place is jammed, and it's getting very close, but until it's jammed, not everybody's gotten the memo that what happens when a church prays changes that church. It changes everybody who's in the room. Prayer not only changes you in that moment, but through prayer, you're creating a legacy that if the Lord tarries will last generations. When James Rivers started praying in January of 1998, it changed the church. Instantly, there were exponentially more salvations, more baptisms, more of the work of God, more of the favor of God. Last week, Brian Houston was here. We were just talking a little bit. He said, how big is the area? Because he'd asked what the attendance was. And, you know, last couple of weeks, we've had in-person attendance of, of in, the, in the 12,000s. And, and so that's really good. And, and nearly 100,000 watching online. And so Brian's, Brian's, he says, now, what's the population of the area? And when I told him, he said, well, really, it's not a very big area, is it? I said, no, it's not. He said, that is amazing. I said, it's the hand of God. That when we pray, things that wouldn't happen, happen. When you pray, things that weren't going to happen, do happen. So here's Peter's praying, and Cornelius is praying, and God is at work, because prayer absolutely changes everything. And prayer can lead us into a new season. One person's prayer can lead into a new season. If a group of people pray, believe me, it's going to lead into a new season. And we've seen that at James River. I've, I was, um, you know, I mean, I've just been, you know, constantly you're processing what God is doing here and, and um, just thinking through what's happened and how it's happened. And Savannah has on a number of times, Savannah's our daughter, uh, the youngest of our three children, and um, Savannah, on a number of occasions, has said, Do you remember when Bill Johnson was here, he, he prophesied and prayed over the church at the end of his, of his message. And, you know, honestly, when Bill was here, I'd spent three hours with him, and I was just trying to, 
to uh, recover from that uh, because of all he had said. It was so impacting to Debbie and I. And then at the same time, uh, I'm dealing with, in my mind, um, you know, the second round of, of battling cancer, and, and that's weighing pretty heavy on me. And, and then we're, we're hosting him. And, and so I never really, really um, went back and checked or listened to it. But one of the things that's happened to me in this, in this season is there have been a number of prophetic words. It's, I've never seen the I don't ever, I've never received the number of prophetic words that I've received in the last year and a half. And I've started keeping them and reading them um, because I don't want to miss one thing God is doing. So I went back, I, I asked one of our pastors to help me. Just can you go back, look at that clip and just transcribe it for me. Here's what Bill said. I'm wanting to see the cloud, so to speak. That when you come into this place, this amazing church family of believers, anticipate what God might want to do. We can't make anything happen, but we can cooperate. We can anticipate. We can pray specifically. We can say, God, we are here to see the tormented set free. We are here to see those who have fatal diseases in their body healed and to see those things broken, made whole. I know that all, that already happens here, but I know that we are at the beginning of a dramatic acceleration. And I want you to realize at this point, you know, so two things strike me. First of all, that's exactly what's happened. And second, that all went right over the top of my head. So nobody can say, nobody can say, well, Bill said it and John tried to make it happen. I, I, didn't even remember he said it, which tells you God is working. A dramatic acceleration of all things good and all things right. I'm just going to ask you to join me in prayer for a minute. I just want to sense how God wants to do this. I just want you to pray with me for the presence of God to truly rest upon you. The whole point is that I believe he is equipping this house to accelerate in glory, in anointing, and then breakthrough. So it's a very interesting statement. Here's the prayer. Father, I ask that you would increase the spirit of breakthrough on this house. That there would be a mark on this people that would be manifested in the days to come. Lord, I pray for encounters in the night that people would wake up in the night with the glory of God, God filling the that there would be a profound interaction between the Holy Spirit and their spirit. Such a profound connection that you will reveal what you are going to release in the coming days in the earth. Let this house be known for great faith, bold faith, extreme faith. God, I pray that for this place, it would be a corporate anointing, not just individuals. That something would rest upon this church family in a way that has not been seen before. Let that Wigglesworth kind of faith. Smith Wigglesworth was a great healer back in England in the 40s and the 50s. Uh, uh, an amazing faith healer. Let that Wigglesworth kind of faith rest upon the house. The house of God. Known for absolute confidence in God. 
God has answered that prayer. And I would just suggest to you that as we've walked into a new season, that we are entering a new season in the new season. You say, what does that mean? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> Other than we're going to stage two. But God is doing things here that are, and it's not about the church. Let me be very clear. This church will not, this church, this, it's not going to be about James River. It's going to be about revival that spreads across the country. It's, it's going to be much bigger than James River. And it's not about a person because as he prayed, there's a corporate anointing. This is the beautiful thing. What just happened? It wasn't me asking everybody to come up so I could personally pray for them. Can I pray for people? Yes. Do I feel that I demonstrate the gift of healing on occasion, but not exceptionally? What I love about this is that God is using you. He's using this church. He's using us corporately at all the campuses. I mean, it's not just happening at the South Campus. It's happening every single campus, and it's happening online to touch people and the faith of this place has radically and dramatically changed in the last year and a half. It's not the same church anymore. There have been times when I have felt as if we rolled somebody in in a casket, you all would have the faith to raise them from the dead. I know for some of you who are new, you're like, what in the world is he doing? Let me just say this to you. Sometimes you'll hear things that your mind can't understand or you can't wrap your mind around, but it's, but it's embedded in the heart, and that's part of walking with God. I'm just simply saying you've gone to an entirely different level of faith. It's obvious. People come in here, guests. Here's what they said. The, I mean, the last two guests we had have specifically said the faith in this place is palpable. You can feel the faith. As soon as you tell people they can come and get healed, I, I'm just saying it's a new season. And prayer is going to take us to the, to the we're going to go from glory to glory. It's how, we, it's how we wound up here. Bill prayed, you prayed, we've all prayed. It's how we're going to go to where God has for us. Amen? Second, God has a perfect timing for his new season. I think our question is always, why doesn't it happen in now? And especially some are asking today, well, if we're in a new season and God is doing this, then why haven't I been healed? Or why hasn't someone I love been healed? Or why isn't God doing it? And we can begin to analyze God's work. And when you start to analyze God's work, by and large, what happens is it becomes the end of God's work in you. We have to be very careful that we don't allow our analysis of what God is doing to begin to become criticism of why God isn't doing things. Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to cause us to focus on what is not happening rather than what is happening. 
And this chapter reminds us that there's a timing. It's that everything is under the control of the Lord relative to this. It is timing is always perfect. And one facet of, of Luke 10 that's very, very interesting is that Luke constantly mentions these timing words. You say, what do you mean? Acts 10, 3, about the ninth hour of the day, 3 p.m., Luke's interested in the timing of things. Acts 10, 9, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the house about the sixth hour, about noon to pray. So there's, there's timing that's happening. In verse 17, we read this. Peter was very perplexed. So he has this vision. He can't figure it out. Just then, another translation says, at that very moment, the ESV says, behold, can you believe it? While he's thinking about this, suddenly people show up at the door. What is it telling us? It's telling us that God is never late. God is always on time. That God has a timing for what he's doing in this place, in your life, and in the life of the ones you love. In Acts 10, 23, the next day, he arose and went with them. The idea that Luke is making is that things are ordered of the Lord, that nothing is accidental, nothing is incidental, that the steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord, the psalmist says, and he delights in every detail of your life. You thought he was late. You couldn't understand why he didn't come through, but he's right on time, and your answer's on the way. Some of you feel like because your healing or your breakthrough or your new season hasn't arrived, that it's not going to happen. Others are afraid that maybe you've missed it. But if you prayed and you're praying, God is at work in the details of your life, arranging everything right down to this hour and this moment and your new season and your answer to prayer is on the way because God has perfect timing. And when it comes to what God's going to do in the church, everything will happen in perfect timing. Well, I love to see things happen more and faster. I thought they would. I'm excited about it, but it's happening perfectly in his time. God is at work. I think of Bill being here and that prophecy and it flying right over my head and me going in and having surgery and being laid up and all the things you would think you would need for, for something like this move of God to bubble up happened while I was laying in bed. Think about that for a moment. God is at work. God is moving in this place in a supernatural way. And nobody can manufacture it. And I have no desire to. But God is at work. Number three, God brings a new season by giving us a new perspective. That's one of the things that's happened. I think one of the reasons why, you know, I mean, one of the things that's been really beautiful about what God is doing is it's happened with great unity, which is is very unusual. 
especially for a church that's as diverse in background as this church. And by that, I mean uh, the church is, is by and large made up of people. About 80% of the people are from a background other than the Assemblies of God, and it can be no background or another church background. And so you have all of these different theological leanings, understandings, preferences, backgrounds, and what's happened is the Holy Spirit is harmonizing them as he's working in this place. He's changing our perspective. He's changing. I, I mean, I've at this point been here 30 years, but he's changed my perspective on some things. And I know he's changing your perspective on some things. And if you're not allowing God to work in your life in a way that allows you to grow spiritually in your understanding of his work in you and his work in the church. And if you're not allowing the Lord to grow you relative to your understanding of his word, you're going to miss what God wants to do. Here's Peter. He falls into a trance, Acts chapter 10 and verse 10, and he sees heaven open, something like a large sheep being let down to earth it's four, by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So he's seeing all of these. Peter's Jewish, and, and you can read in the Old Testament. You can read in the book of Leviticus. There are chapters, whole chapters on animals that are clean to eat, okay to eat, animals that are unclean to eat. And so here is, is a sheet covered with unclean animals, and a voice from heaven is telling him to get up to kill and to eat them. This, this is something that would never in his wildest dreams have entered Peter's imagination. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back into heaven. Why three times? There's a biblical principle in the mouth of two or three witnesses is a fact established. If something happens three times, it's like you can carry this as, a, as an axiom, as a principle. Peter had always thought that his ceremonial purity, that his ability to engage in worship of the Lord was based on the food he ate or didn't eat. He also thought that as a Jew, the word of God taught him that you didn't have fellowship with Gentiles. You didn't eat with them. What's interesting is Jesus in Mark chapter 7 had declared all foods clean. Are you so dull? He asked the disciples. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but it goes into his stomach and then out his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. But that, at the moment, went right over the top of Peter's head. But now he's slain in the spirit. He has his vision, and his entire understanding is changed. What's the takeaway for us on this? If we're going to grow in our perception of what God is doing, in our understanding of what God is doing, we have to realize... God will never violate his word, but he may violate our understanding of his word. There are some, and, and I say this kindly, but I say it for truth. 
You think you have it all figured out. You've read the Bible however many times. You've gone to BSF and all these, all these other wonderful, wonderful programs. But if you think you've studied the Word of God so much that now you know everything there is to know about the Word of God and how God's going to work, and you can, you can divide every scripture and have it all perfectly sorted out, something's wrong spiritually with you. Because constantly we're growing in the Lord. And though his revelation through his word is the revelation through his word, our understanding can never be allowed to be placed at the level of the authority of his word. Our understanding is not authoritative. His word is. Peter is, is encountering this, and it's changing everything he's held to be true. Can I just say, listen, I, all I'm doing is trying to open your heart to some of the realities so that are, that are practical and true and spiritual and right. That as you and I move into a new season, some of the things we thought were true you're going to come to an understanding aren't necessarily so. Some of the things you thought God doesn't do, wouldn't do, or aren't real, you're going to find out, boy, was I wrong. I'm not asking, I'm, I'm saying, hey, we check everything by the word. We weigh everything by the word, but we allow the spirit of God to grow us in our understanding of the word. Are you with me? While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. This would have been outside his whole paradigm of ministry. Three Gentiles coming to him. Jews don't hang out with Gentiles, but God is saying, go, do it. You say, well, I don't know why that's so hard. That's because you weren't raised in the way Peter was. There are other things that will be harder for you to accept because of how you're raised, because of what you thought, and the Spirit of God is going to break through in certain areas of your life to move you into a new season. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. So Peter's smart. He's, he's got witnesses because he knows what he's doing could get him in trouble with people. So he just wants some witnesses who can validate what God is doing in him and through him in situations that are totally new. So they, they take off. He arrives at Cornelius' house, and God's will is unfolding right before his very eyes, which reminds us that the quickest way to grow in our understanding of God's work and God's will and what God is doing in our life is instant and immediate obedience. If, if, Peter, if Peter holds back, if Peter says, well, you know what? I've never done this before, and the whole, the whole hanging out with Gentiles, I don't know. 
And I wonder what my synagogue would think. And I wonder what some of the Judaizers, some of the, the more legalistic people back in Jerusalem would think. And oh boy, I, I don't want to have to deal with that. So I'm just going to play it safe. If he goes there, nothing will happen. He will miss what God wants to do. But Peter goes there and Peter begins to preach the gospel. He gives them salvation. He tells them some wonderful things about Jesus. Among them, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. I want you to notice the key to what Jesus did is not that he was God. It was that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Was he God? A hundred percent. Could he have done anything he wanted as God? Yes. Did he, did he operate as deity in what he did? The answer to that is, though he was God, Philippians tells us, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he set aside the prerogatives, the privileges of deity, and submitted himself to the Father. He was dependent upon the Father. He needed the Father to speak. In John chapter 5 and verse 19, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Could he as God have done whatever he wanted to do? He's co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent with God, equal in every way. Does he have to just wait on the Father to tell him? As God, he wouldn't have to. But as the God-man coming to earth, giving us an example that we would follow in his footsteps, showing us what it means to be directed, to hear from the Father, be empowered by the Spirit, he left us an example. That you and I would understand what's possible if we fully yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit and completely depended upon God's leading, the Father's leading in our life. What could happen? Jesus is an example of that. And he said, greater things than I've done will you do because I go to the Father. He's empowered by the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, at his baptism, Jesus, full of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit of God comes down on him, descends on him, rests on him. John says, I would not have known who he was except the one who sent him, said, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one. So here he is, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the desert. Everything he does, he's empowered by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. He comes out of that temptation. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, he starts healing people. He starts his ministry at Nazareth by saying, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And begins to say what that is and what that looks like. Back to Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. So he's anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. That's that word dunamis. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The same power that was on Jesus can be on you if you're filled with the Spirit. It's miraculous power, mighty power, supernatural power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is a very interesting insight into healing. Luke views healing as primarily the breaking of the devil's power in the lives of people. I don't think a lot of Christians don't have that revelation, and I think it's one of the reasons people 
struggle in some ways in praying for the sick because they don't understand the mandate on their life or what the authority they have. And, and invariably, they, they view sickness as more the result of natural causes than supernatural causes. In fact, let me just say this to kind of help you process this. Luke sees sickness as prime, primarily from the devil. Satan works in three ways relative to sickness and suffering in people. Number one, Satan directly causes sickness. Primarily, 25% of the miracles in the, in the Gospel of Mark are in result to demonic disease. Demonically induced disease. Now, listen, if you're sick, I'm not saying you have a demon, but you may have demonic activity in your life. That would be true in a, if you're going to take the biblical percentage, and I'm not saying that is the percentage, but it is in the Gospel of Mark. 25% of sickness is a result of an evil spirit. That doesn't mean that you opened your life to an evil spirit, although you may have. Sometimes the enemy, an evil spirit, just does something. And the only way to heal somebody is to rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus. Are you with me? I'm, I'm telling you so we can be growing our effectiveness to see some healing. I mean, Jesus often, when, when he's dealing with people, he's rebuking with the epileptic. He rebuked the spirit, not the illness. When he healed the, the, the deaf uh, person who couldn't speak, he said, you unclean spirit, come out of him. There are times, I've, I've told you, I mean, I pray for this one couple, he had narcolepsy. I felt when they asked me, it was dark, I didn't know him, I hadn't seen him before, but as soon as I bowed my head to pray, I felt like it's caused by an evil spirit. I rebuked the spirit. He was instantly healed. I'm just simply saying, Satan, we, we err if we think he's not involved in much of what's happening. I'm not looking for a devil under every bush. I'm just saying he, he does afflict people. Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Number two, Satan indirectly uses the natural results of a fallen sinful world to cause sickness. So what, what are we talking about there? Toxins, bacteria, you know, there's COVID. I mean, all kinds of things, right? Malnutrition. There are just, and, and our own bodies are in a state of decay. I mean, after you're 25 years old, I mean, they tell us it's all downhill. I mean, the body gives out. It wears out. That's a result of the fall of man, of the curse. So some of sickness, Satan indirectly uses natural results. And then third, Satan tempts people to fall into sin that results in sickness and suffering. You can see examples of that. I mean, Paul warns the Corinthians, you're not observing the table of the Lord right. You're not waiting for people. You're being selfish toward people in the church. You have, you have dissension in the church. And if you think God's going to bless you for that, you're wrong. In fact, for that reason, some of you are sick and some have even died. Satan tempts people to put themselves in a place where they incur judgment or discipline. That can be sickness. But generally speaking, sickness is the result of the devil's attack on people. And that will change how you pray. Listen, 
Honestly, we get too focused on the disease instead of the root cause of the disease. And when you think in terms of the root cause, then it doesn't matter if it's a heart attack or a hangnail. If the enemy is the one who is at the root cause, you can rebuke him in the name of Jesus with authority because you're a follower of Jesus, right? And greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. I hope that helps you. Peter goes on and gives them the gospel and testifies about that. Number four, I'm going to give you just, we'll move on here. God brings a new season in order to work powerfully in the lives of other people. God was getting ready in this moment. You see, sometimes we have a tendency, our view is too small, our world is too small. We have a tendency to think of our problem or our need only in terms of how it affects us, but there's a whole lot more at stake than just my healing, your healing, or what God does in one family because Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius is thinking of his family getting saved, and God is thinking of all the Gentiles around the world who need to be saved. Peter is thinking of going to Cornelius. Peter has no idea what's going to happen as he goes there. But as he goes there, Acts 10 and verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. You say, what, what does that mean? The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. How did they know that they had received the Holy Spirit? They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So Peter's speaking and all of a sudden there's a spontaneous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and everybody in the room is filled with the Spirit. Everybody. I'm just saying that God delights in doing those kind of things and it changes everything. And I read that. And when I read that, I can't help but think, and I've told you before, but I just keep it fresh in your mind because I believe it's going to happen. You say, what do you mean? Well, back in 2001, 2002, a professor at CBC, she had her doctorate. She's a godly lady, looked like a, if, if angels were little old ladies, that's what she looked like. But just the presence of God on her life, and she made an appointment to come out and see me. We'd just gotten in this building. And she said, Pastor, I, I have a word from the Lord for you. And I said, really, what is it? And she said, God's going to pour his spirit out on this place. I said, oh, that would be great. That would be great. She said, no, you don't understand. From the front to the back, from the left to the right. She said it would be historic. And you know, I never, I never really did anything with that. I never forgot it, but I never did anything with it. I was talking a couple weeks ago with Randy Clark, and I just mentioned it to him. And I said, you know, something that never seemed very real to me now is very real to me. And I said, it's interesting to me how it could lay dormant for 20 years and all of a sudden come to life in living color. And he said, oh, I can tell you why. He said, you didn't have faith to believe for that back then. So the prophecy was dormant. 
but as soon as you had faith, because faith creates the reality for the supernatural and for the prophetic to occur. And I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm telling you it's going to happen. It dawns on me as I'm saying this to you that David, today is, I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I'm sitting in the service. I cried through the whole worship service. Um, David wasn't even by me, but David, as we're sitting there and the announcements are playing, he said, I believe you have a prophetic word today. Do you? I believe you got a prophecy for the people today. I said, um, kind of. Um, I'll have to see how it goes, but I think you've caught in this message some prophetic. Something prophetic God is doing. There's something prophetic God is saying. There's something that is happening. And just the declaration of what God is going to do has prophetic elements to it. So this is a very unique lesson. I, I, I just, if you're new today, um, we're in a unique season, and so unique things happen. And um, God is at work. He's at work.